The following is a hoop ball presentation. What's up, everybody? I'm Najee Adams, and I'm Hunter Jacobs, and you're listening to the Hoop Ball Nets podcast. So we are back with another very special episode today. Um, but before we get into all that, make sure you guys subscribe to the Hoop Ball Nets podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and review because all reviews will get read on the pod. You can find us on Spotify as well. Um, download the pod. Share it with your friends. You can find us on Twitter at Hoop Ball Nets. Um, my personal Twitter, Najee Adams underscore Hunters, Hunter underscore JKR on Twitter. And now that we got all of that out the way, uh, we have our very first guest in podcast history ever. So this is a very special episode. Um, what's up, Billy? Uh, how you doing today, bro? I appreciate you guys having me. I didn't realize I was the very first guest, but it's a lot of pressure <laughs> on me. I gotta have a, I gotta have a good performance here. <laughs> nah, you good. We, we have high <laughs> hopes in you, bro. Don't even worry about it. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, um, Billy Reinhardt, SB Nation, Nets Daily. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, bro. Like, how'd you get started? How'd you become a Nets fan? Like, how'd you get connected with Nets Daily and SB Nation? Yeah, so going back, uh, I mean, I think everyone was on Twitter at some point. Um, but I, I mean, I was maybe a little bit late getting on Twitter. And I had, like, an account, but I had, like, an egg. I was kind of not really, like, <laughs> um, out there in college. Um, I started using my Twitter more under my name and, like, whatever, and actually, like, tweeting but I was really coming from a fan's perspective I just loved the team and um, I felt like I followed the team closer than anyone I knew so I was just tweeting from that perspective and it started to gain a following people liked my opinion um, and from there it started to catapult in college I went to Fordham University um, and fortunately we have a lot of connections um, in the sports broadcasting and media fields so I had an opportunity to do a lot of hands-on work while I was there, whether it was broadcasting, field reporting, beat reporting, um, and other things of that nature. So I got a lot of experience doing that, kind of found my voice in doing that, um, and I made some connections along the way. So I would say about 2017, after being around the team and being credentialed through actually Fordham originally uh, with the Nets, um, I ended up meeting some of the people from Nets Daily. Um, and they saw my content, obviously, on Twitter, which started to take off and they wanted to partner up. So I started contributing to them in some fashion and that continued to progress um, and just continued to build on it from there. And now I've started to build up a pretty good following so far. Um, and I'm happy about it. That's, that's a, a great story. Like, I see you're in law school, right? Right now? Yes. So, like, how did how does like law school and the, the whole Nets reporter thing mesh? Like, is it kind of like a wild schedule? <laughs> it's it's tough. Um, last semester was my first semester of law school. So balancing all of that, um, it was actually weird because I thought I'd be balancing with the start of this season um, when it typically starts in, in October or so. Um, but I ended up balancing it with, with the playoffs and uh, <laughs> with the bubble getting pushed back because I was starting up school in August and the Nets were just starting up the playoffs against the Raptors. So that was a little difficult right there um, and unexpected. But yeah, it's definitely a challenge, but it's something this whole reporting thing, covering the nets and all that, it's something I do out of joy. It's kind of a, a pastime, a hobby for me. So yeah. when you have time away from, from school and stuff like that, it's something I enjoy doing. So I, I don't do it begrudgingly. And I think that's, that's a key to anything you want to do in life. It's some, if it's something you enjoy, it will never be work. Do you uh, think that going forward, like once you graduate law school, that you want to continue writing while being a lawyer as well? You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I still have a couple of years to decide all of that. Um, the reason I decided with the law side of things is because I would love to get into the agency side of things or um, 
sports law in general and stuff like that. So um, I've had my connections in sports now for a few years and just kind of getting experience in that field. Um, I have a writing background. I have a broadcasting background, all that from college. So I have experience in a bunch of different things. I also in college, I was actually a business major. So I have experience in a few different things. Um, doesn't hurt to have uh, a bunch of different experiences. Uh, so when we go forward, we'll, we'll see what happens. But th- those are my early plans as of now. Nice, nice. Yeah, like you said, like making your it makes you as marketable as possible since you can like you're very versatile. You can do a whole bunch of different stuff. So um, being a Nets fan, like, do you have any like what's your top three memories that like that stick out to you in your Nets fandom? Well, when I so I'm 23 right now. So when I started becoming a Nets fan, I was a little young for the Jason Kidd finals appearances. Um, I was <laughs> about five at that point. So I, I don't really remember those too well. Um, but I became a Nets fan partly because I was a huge Yankee fan and they were on oh, yes. Yeah, really, yeah. Yes. So baseball was the first sport that I, I came to love. Um, and I would always be watching yes. And I'd be like, damn, in, in off season, the winter, I'm a little bored here. So <laughs> yes, in the winter and the Nets were on and they had Vince Carter at the time. And they had Jason Kidd, obviously Richard Jefferson. And they were a fun watch and Vince Carter quickly became my favorite player. Um, so I started following that team back then. Through the lean years, uh, finally they got Darren Williams and there was some excitement around the team. And then they moved to Brooklyn and things got a little bit better there. They made the Celtics trade. They had a few nice seasons. Um, then they had the depths that followed the Celtics trade for a few <laughs> years. But then they started to build up with this young team, D'Angelo Russell. That was fun. And now, I mean, you can't ask for more of a dream situation as a fan than what they got right now. So uh, it's been a journey. And I think that's one of the things that um, a lot of people that like to jump fan bases or follow specific players don't realize you appreciate the winning more when you've been through the entire um, peaks and valleys of a franchise, like coming from the 12 and 70 nets in New Jersey to where they are now. I mean, you really feel um, that as a fan. And I think it means more that way. No, hundred percent. Like once you go through the struggle with your team, I feel like you, you appreciate the good times even more because you've been there when they were down bad, you know, like it, it means more. Um, so obviously the Nets now, the big three era is back. Um, what were your initial thoughts when you saw the Nets picked up Harden? I've, I've been preaching for this. I mean, if I, I was a little uh, unsure if the Nets would be able to get it done because I wasn't sure if their package would be enough. I know that Houston didn't love Karis LeVert. Uh, we saw that they ended up shipping him to Indiana for Victor Oladipo. Um, but the Nets just gave every pick they absolutely could. I do think it's interesting that the Nets gave up Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, which probably are the two players with, um, that they give up, obviously they have the most value. So, and the Houston didn't get either one. They took all the picks. They took Victor Oladipo. Yeah, yeah. So, um, that just shows how creative Sean Marks and the Nets front office had to be to get this deal done. None it, of the players they gave up ended up in Houston. So it showed that Houston really didn't want those players, but the Nets were able to get value out of them to other teams and shift that value in terms of picks or cap relief or whatever it may be back to Houston. So creative thinking by Sean Marks, but since, since August, since we heard that James Harden could be available, I thought it was a no brainer. It's very rare. You get an opportunity to get an MVP in his prime top five player to add to your team. And you have the security already of having um, two other great stars in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So, I mean, this positions the Nets to be one of the best teams in the league for the next two years at the least. And I think with all this talent here now, um, you can see that that era be stretched out to maybe three or four years. It also seemed like based on the final packages that the Rockets were offering other teams that the only realistic trade would have been with the Nets or else Harden wasn't going to move. They were asking for Simmons from Philly, Jalen Brown and Smart from Boston, 
a huge package around Hero from the Heat, which is probably the the closest other one that could have been done. But the Nets trade just seems so perfect. But I know it hurt a lot of Nets fans to see uh, Karis and Jared Allen go. How did you feel about that? Yeah, it's part of the business. I think we saw with D'Angelo Russell and Kenny Atkinson that, I mean, they were big parts, arguably even bigger parts than Karis and Jarrett were in this turnaround. And um, they were let go. It's part of the business, the next phase of the team. You, you hate to see um, players that have given their heart and soul to a franchise have to move on, but that's just what it is. And I think for the Nets, when you have an opportunity like this, an unbelievable opportunity to strike for a championship, you just got to do it. Yeah, no. Um, I know for me personally, seeing them go was a little tough just because like they were there with us. like how we just talked about how you got to like live in the struggle to appreciate when you're kind of up and doing well. They were kind of those struggle guys with us. So seeing them go is kind of sad. But obviously, you know, like you said, it's a business. Um, And like talking about the packages Nets traded itself, like um, I know when the package first got announced and like Shams and Walsh tweeted it out, a lot of people were like, oh, that's a lot. But when you really look into it, like the, the top half of the picks the Nets gave up probably aren't going to be any good because the Nets still are going to be pretty good two, three, four years out from now. So that back end is really the only thing that like the only the most valuable pieces they kind of traded to Houston. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that would be the hope. I mean, a lot of people spoke about the same similar thing when they made the Celtics trade and the Nets ended up being worse than people expected. So you never know how these things are going to work out. But in, in my mind, and I've spoken to a lot of Nets fans about this, especially from a Nets franchise perspective, this is not the Lakers that has, have won so many championships. The Nets have never won an NBA championship. So for Nets fans, if you can win just one title, even if it's followed by five years of being the worst team in the NBA, without you, <laughs> if they have to go through that again, like I mean, I think people would take that if you can just get one championship um, to make it all that, worth it. And that's the goal. And I think the Nets, when you look at other teams that could have traded for Harden, whether it's the Sixers, the Celtics, whoever, they have young players that are going to continue to grow that maybe not, are not even in their primes yet. So their window's a little wider. They can afford to be a little more patient, even though I think they still should have went for James Harden. I'm just that high on him. Um, they have more of a window to be patient. The Nets have KD and Kyrie that could be free agents after next season. KD's already 32 years old. Um, Kyrie's a little younger at 28, but I mean, they, they have to strike right now while the iron's hot. These aren't homegrown players that they have like a Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid age. They got to strike right now and they have a great opportunity to do so. You know, a hundred percent. So the Nets, like they had some, still have some obvious holes in their roster after making the deal, but Sean Marks kind of assured fans that he isn't finished building the team and in comes Norvell Pell as their first signing. Um, what do you, he averaged 1.3 blocks in under 10 minutes last season with the Sixers, 6'10", high flying, high motor guy. What are your thoughts on, on Norvell Pell? Yeah, that's really what he is right now. I think his lone NBA skill is his shot blocking and he fouls too much. So if you look at all the advanced stats on him, he was probably the worst Sixer last year. He was not very good. Um, but as you said, shot blocker, um, he, he blocks shots at a very high rate, protects the rim. And this is a Nets team that wants to improve their defense. So you give him a look. If he doesn't pan out, I think Josiah won't be afraid to cut bait before the buyout deadline and potentially add another player. But for now, the Nets are looking to add defense. Um, they get a shot blocker, an athletic guy that, with, a, with a motor that's going to play hard. Um, and that's an issue for this Nets team right now. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. I'm not sure that's who I would have signed. I think there were a couple better options. But um, you never know. This is The Nets trusting their scouting department what they see with Norvell Pell because he really doesn't have um, a large sample size of NBA-level production. Yeah, we were talking about uh, 
the three open spots on the last episode. Pell obviously n- never came up for us. <laughs> the guys we were mainly talking about were like Dwayne Dedman or trading for JaVale McGee, even possibly Alex Len, who's now with the Wizards as the center option. But now that they got that backup center shot blocker, what do you think they're going to do with the other two spots? I think the Nets want to continue to add veterans. They want to continue to add size and they want to continue to add defense. So uh, I think you'll – Sam Amico actually reported yesterday that he expects the Nets to um, – sources have told him that he expects the Nets to look into JaVale McGee. The Nets just got awarded the disabled player exception for Spencer Dinwiddie, so McGee could be absorbed right into that for maybe a second-round pick or two, and the Nets could get McGee. However, I think that's redundant now with Pell. Um, the timing there is a bit odd, uh, but there's a few other free agents out there that they can add. They have to add at least one more by the end of next week um, per league rules. So – I like Ursan Eliasova. He had a decent season with the Bucks last year. Um, he can stretch the floor, tough inside, one of the best charge takers in the entire league. Gives him a little more bulk in the front court. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, the former Ned, he's going to add defense, versatility. I think he plays hard. I think he's someone that could help. I mean, there, there are a few options, but I think you're mainly going to see this team look for veterans, um, some depth, and some size. Yeah, and no, I feel like Ursan Eliasova is a guy that a lot of people tend to overlook, and like you said, I feel like he has a very versatile skill set, especially one that the Nets can use because he's a big that can stretch the floor. The Nets don't really have that right now outside of, like, obviously KD, but we don't really count him as a big. So adding a guy with some size who can stand out on the perimeter and shoot the three and kind of space the floor a little bit more, give guys like KD, Kyrie, and Harden more space to work, I feel like would really be beneficial to the Nets. So we'll see what happens. But – um. The buyout market should also be big for the Nets. So give me some guys, like top three guys, realistic guys you'd love to see get bought out and kind of give the Nets a better chance at winning that championship. I think number one, based on fit, based on connections with this team, um, all and likeliness to potentially be bought out. I, I think Trevor Ariza is the ideal target for the Nets. I oh, mean, that's a good one. Yeah, he's with Oklahoma City right now. He's not even with the team, I'm pretty sure. And um he has one year remaining in this, on his contract. They're holding out hope Oklahoma City that can maybe nab another pick for him, which they may. If they can, the Nets really don't have any salaries to match in a trade. So the Nets' hope is that he gets bought out. But you could throw him right in that starting lineup if you want. He could be your first wing off the bench. But he's definitely a rotation player when you get into championship basketball. And um, his defense, his versatility, his ability to catch and shoot, uh, he's just the perfect fit with this team. He's cool with Kevin Durant. He's played with James Harden. They're good friends. Um, so, so I, I think he's a very good fit with this team. Mike D'Antoni was his coach before. Uh, he's someone the Nets would love to get their hands on, I'm pretty sure. I'm um, just looking right up and down. the. So there's so many guys that can happen. There's so many unknowns of, of who could get bought out based on situations and stuff like that. Yeah. I think someone like Patty, Patty Mills may get bought out from San Antonio. It depends what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. He's been a champ, champion with that team, someone that – that organization respects. So I think it's up to him. If he wants to stick around and finish his career in San Antonio, they'd be cool with that. But if he says, I'd like to go win a championship one more time, I think the Nets would be an ideal fit for him. I'd say the Nets and the Clippers because the Clippers, because he was a point guard, he's familiar with Kawhi. Um, but the Nets have so many Spurs connections, Sean Marks, Tiago Splitters with the organization. Ime Odoko is a former assistant in San Antonio. And Patty Mills kind of filled that Spencer Dinwiddie role off the bench as the backup point guard. So, I would like Patty Mills' big game experience, Trevor Rees, as I mentioned. And then let's give you one more name, just looking up and down the rosters right now. 
someone maybe like Thaddeus Young. Who knows if he gets bought out by Chicago? Um, he has one year remaining. He was a former net. He had some toughness inside, a little bit of defense. Mm-hmm. Thaddeus Young could be someone I think that could help this team. Yeah, um, I think um, I think getting a big wing like Ariza Young, Ilyasova gives the Nets flexibility because right now. Jeff Green is being forced into whether he's starting or the first big off the bench. And he's really the only like compliment to having size as opposed to KD. He's the only player that can stretch the floor at that size and play defense. So getting like an Ilya Sova or Trevor Ariza allows them to move Jeff Green wherever they want to and have somebody else to fill that similar role. Yeah. And Jeff Green has been great this season. I mean, he's shooting lights out. It's probably due for some regression, so you have to protect against that. But as you mentioned, he's he's starting at the four a lot of the time. Then he's coming off the bench as the first big. Like he, he's been asked to play a lot of roles for his team, and he's playing about starter minutes every single night. So he's an older player too. You can't expect to run him into the ground. Um, so I think they need to add more depth in that regard. Hopefully, they get Nick Claxton back, uh, their their draft pick from last season, who's been injured throughout the start of this season. But they're high on him, and maybe he can be that first big off the bench and kind of take some minutes there and. I think he's potentially the guy they see as the backup center over Norvell Pell. Um, the Claxton's still a few weeks away, so we'll see what happens there. Reggie Perry has declined over the last few weeks. So Yeah, Nets, it's, Nets been, it's been holes. tough for Reggie Perry. <laughs> yeah, Nets have some holes, but um, I love the top seven or so of that team, top even eight with Bruce Brown. So I, I think they have a good core in terms of that. And then I think they're going to add one or two rotation caliber players at the buyout deadline because most of these teams, you look at a team like the Lakers, you'd think that's the main spot teams who want to uh, buyout guys want to jump on because they probably have the best odds to win the title. But the Nets actually have rotation spots available. I mean, if you want to go to the Lakers, it can be tough to get minutes. You go to the Nets, you're playing in the rotation if you're a good player. So the Nets have that. And then they also have $11.4 million in, extent, in uh, excuse me, exception money. To, to hand out to these free agents, whereas the Lakers only have a minimum contract to offer. So the Nets can offer up to $5.7 million um, for two separate players. Um, so, so that's going to be a big bargaining chip when you get towards the buyout market. Um, yeah, I, you touched on a little bit Bruce Brown, and he's a guy that I really, really like. And I feel like he's kind of fallen out of the Nets rotation a little bit um, or not really – been given a chance it's been, to... it's been shaky his minutes have been inconsistent like he'll he started last game obviously but then there's games where he sees under 10 minutes it, yeah and so i feel like he's a big he could be a big part of this nets team and uh like he he obviously shoots the three ball well plays defense tries on defense which is more than you can say for a lot of guys like he takes pride in playing defense and so i don't know what are your thoughts on how Bruce Brown fits into this construction of the Nets roster? Yeah, I believe Bruce Brown gives the Nets something they really don't have from other players, someone that plays hard, someone that can man up defensively and guard his man, not have to force him into the big all the time. That He could just man up and keep his guy at the perimeter, and the Nets are allowing too much dribble penetration, which hurts their interior defense. Bruce Brown can help in that. He can kind of perform as a secondary tertiary creator um, and running the offense, has some ball handling skill there. He knows how to find the cracks in the defense to cut. Um, he's a good floater in the lane. So Bruce Brown gives you a little bit of everything. I think he's a guy ultimately in the playoffs that's not giving you more than like 15 minutes a game. Um, but I think he's definitely a rotation guy. And when you look at the other guys on the Nets bench or players of similar stature, Timothy Wawu Cavarro and Landry Shaman, their impact is so reliant on their ability to hit shots. And they're so streaky from the perimeter. 
that it's hard to rely on them. When you look at Bruce Brown, if he, even if he's not hitting his, his three-point shot, he's still impacting the game. Um, and when you have stars and you're, when you're playing at the highest level, you can't have these guys that have such fluctuations in their game. You need reliable players, and that's Bruce Brown. That's not TLC, and to this point, Landry Shaman. Um, yeah, that was a great explanation. I feel like uh, the Nets have kind of become – one of the villains of the NBA, which is crazy because for so long they were this like super cute underdog, like everybody rooted for the Nets. Um, and now they've sort of taken on that villain role in the NBA, kind of like the big three heat and the dynasty warriors. Um, as a Nets fan, have you like embraced that villain role or like do you miss them being in the underdog days? No, I love it. I, I would rather be the villain than the team everyone likes. I mean, they hate you because they ain't us, right? They hate us because <laughs> yes. they ain't us. There exactly we go. I mean, so you see, I, I, I told you guys I grew up a Yankee fan, and the Yankees are usually the villain. It's Yeah, it's nope. the same thing, always been a villain. Yeah, I, think, I think a lot of Nets fans, there's a lot of overlap with Mets and Jets fans, so they like being the underdogs. They're used to being the lovable number two team, and they, they get attached to homegrown players, whereas me growing up as a Yankee fan, my perspective is we're doing what it takes to win. We're trying to win every single year. We're the team, every, you either love us or you hate us, kind of like the Lakers in the NBA. Um, so that's always been my perspective. And I think that's the perspective of a, of a winning mentality. So <laughs> the villain, I mean, that's fun. Everyone wants to be, you. everyone hates you because everyone respects you. That's what it is. Um, and, and there, there's no better scenario to be in. I hope we get a Nets Lakers finals. I think that would be unbelievable. And it would really split, um, people ac- across the country here. There's so many LeBron, Laker fans. Because you have some, you know, the Lakers are the team. I mean, they're the Yankees of basketball. They've won so many championships. They've been there so many times. You got the Nets. I mean, they're the David in this scenario. They've never won a championship. But then you have the people that hate super teams, and the Nets are a super team. But the Lakers still have some superstar talent. Like you can't put that away. You have the obviously the the scenario of Kyrie and LeBron, KD and LeBron. I mean, it would just be an unbelievable series. L.A. and New York. Uh, that is the matchup we need to see. And I think it's the likely one right now, but. You gotta cross your fingers that actually happens. Who do you think is the uh, biggest threat in the East to the Nets in the long run? In the East to the Nets. See, I'm high on this team. I think they're gonna turn it around, and I don't really think they're gonna have to struggle too much with these te- with uh, the teams in the East. Um, I think the Lakers would beat the Nets in the series as of now, unless they add some pieces. But in the East, I'm higher on Philadelphia than most people, especially for against the Nets, because I think they have the size. Um, to, to really cause some trouble inside with the Nets. And that's the team I'm looking at with Brooklyn. I think the Bucks have the most talent or the best well-run. They're the most well-run, but at the same time, I still have questions about Giannis's ability to finish games. Drew is not – Drew's a great player, but he's not going to be the guy that's going to be going one-on-one to win the game in the last couple minutes, uh, going toe-to-toe scoring with KD, Kyrie, and Harden. That's just not him. He, he's more of a – do everything type defensive type to, to really make his impact. And Chris Middleton, he's just not at the level of KD, Kyrie, and Harden <laughs> in the game. So I have questions about that team. It doesn't seem like Giannis takes the challenge of being, this is my team. Like he, he I want to see him guard KD late in the game. I, I know he, he's better as a weak side shot blocker for that team, but when it's winning time, you say to your guys, listen, I got him. I want the game in control of my hands. I want to do it. They, they run the last play the other night for Chris Middleton, not Giannis. Like, this is the scenario that the Bucks are in. They just don't rely on their best player um, late in the game. And for good reason, he has struggled in that scenario. So I'm not really worried about the Bucks. The Celtics, I think, have a good team, but I think it's a couple years early for them. I think Tatum and Brown need to continue to progress. Right now, I'd say 
Tatum's a fringe top 10 guy and and Brown is a fringe top 15 guy, I think they have to go a couple more years down the line. And when Tatum's approaching that top five MVP level, I think that's really their window. But I mean, because when you compare the Celtics and the Nets, the Celtics don't have the interior presence and the size to overwhelm the Nets. So they're going to be playing a similar style to the Nets where it's just. I think the only way that the Celtics are able to compete with them is if they use that $28 million trade exception to go get a center. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what they do. Um, Maybe a guy like Andre Drummond can help them, but I I still don't even think they win. I just think the top in town of the Nets, when you compare Tatum Brown and Kemba to to, to KD, Harden and Kyrie, it just doesn't compare. Um, Tatum's their best player and Kyrie on his best night is, is about similar to Tatum's level. So, I, I just think the Celtics don't have enough talent yet. They have the talent, but it's not to the, hasn't uh, developed to the level it needs to, to to really knock off this Nets team. I mean, this Nets team is arguably the most talented uh, trio of all time. You look at other fits and how it works out. How do we know how the Nets going to work out? We don't. Um, but when you look at the, the the strict talent of that those three, uh, I think it goes up to, against any big three of all time. So the Nets got to add around them, and they, they got to hope it works out. But I appreciate patience with this group because if you look at the Heatles, they were eight and eight when they started out. The the Cavs with LeBron, Kyrie, and Love were about I think fourteen and fifteen or something like that. So it takes time time with these groups. The Nets have no training camp; they have very little practice time. They're playing with a shorthanded roster, so it's going to take time. But I think by the time the playoff rolls around, I mean this talent will be too overwhelming for teams to overcome. And that was the example I've been using a lot. Everyone's been overreacting like, oh, how do you lose to the Cavs? They only average 99 points. But I'd always bring up that everyone did the same thing with LeBron and Wade when when they had that awful start. And they're like, oh, can they really work? What's wrong? And they started going crazy. And that team got to the finals, no problem. Yeah, they didn't win year one, but they still got two rings together. So that's the example I always use when talking about this team. Mm-hmm. I, I also feel like this is a year unlike any other when it comes to, you know, obviously COVID-19 protocols, players have never dealt with games getting postponed, uh, like uh, of more like we don't even really know the back end of the schedule yet. Like and so putting a, a group together like the Nets, three guys who have net like obviously KD and Harden have played together, but not in their current iterations. And so like putting these three guys together and like there's obviously going to be growing pains. They're going to have to figure it out on the fly. And like, that's kind of what we're watching now, you know, like we're watching them go through the motions and to eventually at the end of the season, we hope we believe put everything together. And so that's kind of what I was going to ask you next. I feel like a lot of Nets fans are like, why is this not working right now? And like, they've waited so long to have such a good team that to see them be two and two since getting James Harden instead of like four and no undefeated. Like it, it, it kind of takes kind of hits them in the heart. So what, what do you say to those Nets fans that, that want it all right now? You know, I think when you watch the Nets, it looks like a team, like you always want to think the game, but you don't want to overthink it to the fa- point that it, it takes away from your instincts. You know, when I watch the Nets right now, it looks like a lot of guys, especially the stars, just thinking the game, like, okay, I got to give him a touch now. Uh, it's his turn to get a touch. I got to do this, got to do that, rather than just instinctually playing their own games and and fitting together. Uh, and that's going to take time. The communication aspect has to get better, but that, that takes time as well. It, it's a process. It's not easy to build a championship team, especially when you overhaul half the roster uh, a month into the season. As I mentioned, you don't have training camp or, or really practice times to work on that. So the Nets are approaching these games basically 
as uh, practice environments um, in terms of just working on things. They have to imp- try and implement things that they typically would do in practice in games. And it's an experiment. The Nets want to try different things out, different lineups out, different schemes out. So they, when they get to the playoffs, they know which ones work. So this is really, um, when you have the talent the Nets have at this point, this, this, this regular season period is really an experimentation process for them to see what works best come playoffs. The Nets aren't worried about making the playoffs. They're going to make the playoffs easily. Um, they're going to be winning teams at a great, they're going to be winning games at a great rate soon enough. Um, but it's a process. And I think the thing the Nets can control, and that's what's been frustrating over the last couple of games is their effort and their communication um, and just having pride in guarding their man. So those are little things that they can try and control um, while the scheme stuff works itself out and the chemistry works itself out. But bringing energy every night is one thing they can control in the interim. I noticed um, when Harden came in right away, he, he's been like operating as the point guard, the playmaker, the offense, and taking a back seat on shot attempts while KD and Kyrie are playing together. Do you think that that's going to continue for the entirety of the season and he's going to be like the third option? Or do you think as he gets more comfortable, his shot attempts are going to increase? Yeah, I think as Harden gets more comfortable, his shot attempts are going to increase. He said that kind of post game that he's feeling his way through. He knows he has to be a little more aggressive, but um, it's a whirlwind. He just got traded to a new team. He's trying to get used to that. And then he's also trying to get used to now Kyrie getting thrown into the mix. KD was out of the lineup yesterday. So there's a lot of things going up and down for this team that it's hard to create any kind of consistency. Um, I think Harden is just trying to get his feet wet. He doesn't want to step on anyone's toes yet. He's trying to operate more as a distributor. Um, welcome Kyrie back because he knows how people would jump on that if Kyrie was struggling or whatever that was. So at least Kyrie looks great so far. Harden's still playing well, although not as aggressive since Kyrie came back, but I think that will change. Um, And over time, I'm not really worried about the shot attempts um, from game to game. I think it's going to vary. There's going to be games that Kyrie's the number one guy. There's going to be games KD's the number one guy. There's going to be games that Harden's the number one guy. It just depends on the matchups, who's got it going that night. They're all talented enough to be the number one guy on any given night. Um, So, I mean, I I think the best way for this team to operate, honestly, and you see it deep in the playoffs, and a lot of teams don't play this way through the regular season, but when you get deep in the playoffs, teams tend to switch everything defensively, and it gets into a game of just trying to find pick out the best switch. So, I mean, Harden could have the ball up top, and he sees Joe Harris's guy is the worst defender on the floor, and he'll call him for a quick little brush screen to get, get the switch right there, and they're attacking in isolation. I think that's what the Nets should do and what the Nets are going to do when it gets late into the playoffs, just seek out – um, the best matchups on the floor. And if it's a team that doesn't switch, then, well, you, you look at who has the best matchup of Kyrie Harden and KD, and you kind of let them cook a little bit, see what happens there. And typically most nights, I feel like it's going to be Kyrie because he's kind of the third leg of this of this big three. So if Kyrie's the guy with the matchup, I completely trust him to create his own and, and score for this team. They're just so talented. I'm not worried at all about the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, I think you're going to add a couple pieces that help in that way. But at the end of the day, it comes to buy-in and effort. And I think as the games get more um, important, you're going to see this team really start to play hard on that end. And I think Kyrie Harden and KD are all capable, if not better than capable defenders when when they're all playing hard. So um, I I think that's something that will take care of itself. And I think they'll end up being a top 15 defense or so at the end of the day. And with their offense, I think that will be enough to to get them at least to the finals. Um, I think what you, I think you touched on something really important in that the Nets have the luxury of having three superstar scorers and three guys that can really get a bucket at 
by any means necessary, which a lot of teams, most teams outside, really the Nets are kind of the only team that do have that. So like for a team like the Lakers example, LeBron's really the guy on their team that hunts the matchups. AD occasionally they dump it down to him, the post face up, does his thing. But LeBron's really the primarily guy who, who hunts the matchups and tries to get his, depending on who the worst defender is on the court. And you know, when LeBron's struggling, the Lakers struggle. But for the Nets, like you said, they have, if Kyrie can't get it going, they have Harden. If Harden can't get it going, they have KD. And nine times out of 10, KD's going to be able to get it going. So it's like, that's kind of the, the, the luxury in having this whole big three and the advantage that the Nets have over a lot of teams. And when you look at the Nets' style of their big three, you mentioned the Lakers, with they have LeBron and AD. AD, he can handle the ball a little bit, but he's not typically bringing the ball up and creating from the perimeter and kind of playmaking in that regard. So it's LeBron and then they have Dennis Schroeder. So if I, I mean, they added Schroeder, so that helps a lot. But if you look at one weakness of that Laker team, I think it could be um, shot creation, having more than one or two guys that, that can kind of create their own if they're walled off late shot clock and, and situations of that nature. So when you look at the Nets, they're going to have three guys on the floor late in the game that all can handle, operate as a point and, and create for others. So I think that's an advantage that the Nets have in that regard. Obviously, they sacrifice a little bit of size because of that. Um, but it's a game of chess. You, you gotta, you gotta be strong in one area. You gotta take a little bit of a backseat in another. So that's why I think a Nets Lakers matchup would be so fun to watch because we kind of be contrasting styles a bit. Lakers are big, more of a defensive team, whereas the Nets are just a, a quick, fast offensive juggernaut. So it would be fun to see that matchup. No, a hundred percent. I also think like in when the Nets are running the break, if you have Kyrie, KD, and Harden all out on the break, what do you what what can teams do to stop that? Like it's over. Like they're getting a bucket every time. So I think the Nets are definitely gonna be one of the best teams on the break as well, which is obviously gonna give them a huge advantage over a lot of teams. Um that kind of brings us to their game tonight against the Heat. Uh the Heat are also struggling right now. They're six and eight. The Nets are nine and eight. Um it's probably- and the Heat are battling all the COVID and injury-related things, so it, they're very short-handed. So it could come at the perfect time for the Nets. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like the first of a doubleheader because they play the Heat tonight, and then they play them again on Monday. Um, it's going to be the Nets' second game with their big three back in action. So uh, are there any things you're specifically looking for in this game versus the Heat? I want to see them come out with more energy. I mean, they were all talking last night post game about um, how they, they need to play harder. They need, they need to get more energy, more communication. Those are the things that they can control. So then go control. I want to see them come back tonight. It's going to be on the second half of back to back. They're playing a shorthanded heat team, as you mentioned. Um, they might be tired late in the game. So try and finish this one early. You're playing a team that you're much more talented than the heat are going to be without Jimmy Butler, Tyler hero, Avery Bradley and Myers Leonard for both of these games in Brooklyn over the next couple of days. So, the Nets have a chance to really run over this team, and I want to see them come out for blood. I want to see them early in the game, try and run it up on this team, play hard, get into them defensively. Um, if they're playing with very hard, I mean, they can make mistakes defensively, but if they're playing with a high motor, I think that's something that you could be encouraged by, and uh, offense is going to come to this team. So if they're playing hard, trying to make things happen defensively, even if they have breakdowns here and there, um, I, I see them running away with this game tonight. Yeah, me, I agree. Uh, it's also going to be a, a home game for the Nets. Uh, not that a ton fans are there anyway, but at least they'll be in the, in the Barclays. And they can take all the negative energy, because I'm sure they've been hearing it, all the, the doubters and everything, put that into this game and come out and just smoke the heat and uh, kind of quiet everyone down for now at least, you know, and kind of make a statement. 
for sure. They can't lose three in a row. I mean, obviously, as I said, the regular season doesn't mean a whole lot, but it, get, it gets to a point where the na- uh, the national media narrative and, and all of that it would just get very, very loud if this team continues to lose. Um, two games to the Cavs, a team they definitely have to beat, and then the Heat now shorthanded. These are games they have to win. So coming home tonight, all three of them back in the lineup, they have to come out and play hard and really make sure they win this game. 100%. And, uh, yeah, I think I think we're good. Um, once again, thank you, Billy Reinhardt, for coming on the pod, bro. Tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter, even though they probably already follow you. But still, go ahead, get your plugs off. Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Billy Reinhardt. That's B-I-L-L-Y-R-E-I-N-H-A-R-D-T. So give me a follow over there. I hope you guys follow along. I'll be tweeting about the game tonight and all that good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, thank you again, bro. Thank you for making time to come on the Hoop on Nets podcast. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Make sure you subscribe to the Hoop Ball Nets podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, download the pod on Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at Hoop Ball Nets. You can follow me at Najee Adams underscore. Hunter is at Hunter underscore JKR on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys later. This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.